Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. Oh man, come on. So good to... For me, man, it's just good to sit back here, not know what song's coming next. You don't know how special that is. It is. You're like, you don't know. And here comes this chord, and then we get to sing these words to our God. So thank you, brother. Thank you for that. Blake, Esther, Tim, thank you guys. Ah, so good. Well, I'm excited to bring the word today. Um, Steve down in Texas took, took Jonathan back to Baylor, and uh, we've been talking about discipleship. And uh, what a great topic. I mean, really, <clears throat> I think we could, we could entitle every message discipleship probably for the rest of our lives because that's what we're doing. We're learning from God. We're, we're trying to gain his understanding. We're trying to learn to walk in the spirit. We're trying to learn, take his yoke upon us. Uh, and we're trying to build ourselves. I mean, the Lord is building us into his temple. And as we become that, as we learn that and become that, then that's how we take his light out into the world, out into our homes, out into the community, our workplaces. So it's such an important topic, and, and really, I think we could call it discipleship every week. So, but I'm excited to teach on this, on this topic, uh, just to to dive in from from what God's been showing me, uh, and just how God is speaking to me. And let's pray. I want God to speak to us this morning and just remind us of His truth and His His will. So let's pray for that. God, we pray that uh, Lord, as as we dive into Your Word this morning, that You reveal to us Your goodness, Your will for us. Lord, let us hear your, your voice. You tell us that we can know your voice, that your sheep do know your voice. And so, Lord, let us hear you speaking to us. Uh, let me get out of the way, God, and just speak to each of us this morning from your heart. Build us up in faith. Build us up in your love and in your strength. And show us, God, how to live this life of faith in a way that honors you and blesses you. And, Lord, you've, you've blessed us with so much. Show us, Lord, what it means to live in this abundant life you've, you've provided for us. Through Jesus our Lord and through your spirit, which raised him from the dead, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen church. Well, so good just to be in worship. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever just wished that God would just show, that he is, show you that he's real? Have you ever prayed that and just... Maybe, maybe here in the midst of worship, God, if you would just show up, maybe there's a cloud or maybe there's a, there, there, there are angels or I hear voices, something, or, or maybe it's on a trail or at home or early in the morning when you rise. Have you ever prayed that? We, we ask for those things and, we, and we, we, we hope that God is real and we're, we're growing in that, but I think that sometimes it's good to just ask ourselves, okay, what would change? What would change? Do we think, uh, you know, if, if he would just show us who he is, if he would just show us that he's real, maybe then I would, that would change my faith. Well, that, maybe that would change how I pray. Maybe that would change how much I pray, how much I go to church, how much I read the word. Maybe it would change how I treat people. Would it? We hope so. We hope that it would. Well, I want to look at a passage this morning. This actually happened to Peter, James, and John, and they were with Jesus and they had lived with him and been with him and listened to his teaching. But then Jesus takes them up on the mountainside, the transfiguration. You, you've heard the story, right? Well, we're going to look at it this morning. I want to show this to us. We're going to look at uh, just Luke 9. I mean, Mark 9. There are three gospel writers that write about the transfiguration. John didn't write about it as an event, but some say that John wrote about it in all of his writings. 
the, the glory of the Father in Jesus and the, the, the power of the Godhead in Jesus, the holiness of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. So it's interesting that John didn't record this event, but he was there. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke all recorded the events, and I want to turn with you this morning to Mark 9, and let's look at the transfiguration and uh, see what we can learn from that. You can turn in your Bibles, and let's uh, have a look at this together. I want to read the story for us. The Transfiguration. Listen to this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. So this did happen. And, and I know some of you have had signs from God, his, his presence and activity in our lives. We hope that's the testimony of all of us, that God has demonstrated his presence in our lives. And these guys had certainly been there. They had seen Jesus heal. They had seen him deliver people from demonic spirits. They'd seen him walk on water. They had seen him go into some villages and they would call everyone who's sick to come and Jesus would heal them all. They'd seen a man with a shrivel, shriveled hand be restored. They'd seen a widow's uh, son restored to life. He was dead. Jesus raised him alive. They'd seen some incredible things, but this event was different. The Gospel of Luke tells us that they went up the mountain to pray. So Jesus said, you know, come on, let's go pray. So they go up. This is Mount Tabor. In Israel, this is in the Jezreel Valley, northeast of Jerusalem. It's about a four-mile hike to Nazareth in the southwest direction. And it's about an eight- or nine-mile hike to the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus was in this area often. This is where biblical scholars think this would have taken place, up on the mountain. So he takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain to pray. Why didn't he take the other nine? I don't know. There is a thing in the Old Testament, by the way, where in Exodus 31, where it takes two or three witnesses to verify a fact. Just, just an interesting tidbit. So he takes three of these guys up there, and they're falling asleep, they're praying. I mean, Luke tells us they're sleepy, and we know that this happened again in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Where they just couldn't stay awake when they were praying. So they're up there, maybe they go up there at sunset, and it's after dark, and Peter and those guys, they, they're, they're waking up, Luke tells us, and they see, they see the glory, they see the glory of God in Jesus, the, the, the person of the Trinity. Jesus, as a person of the Trinity, begins to glow, begins to shine. Who knows what that was, but you can bet that was a serious sign for these guys, right? And Peter, what's the first thing he said? He calls out and he says, Rabbi. And I think we kind of diminish that word a little bit today as just to mean teacher. 
But I want to point out that rabbi means my teacher, my master. And so Peter says to him, rabbi. And he begins to say, Lord, it's good. It is good that we are here. Let us make tents for you and for Moses and for Elijah. Moses, by the way, represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. But he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. If we track Peter's life before and after this event, because we want to say, if this would happen for us, it, it would change things for me. But did it change things for Peter? I mean, a few days later, Peter was arguing who was the greatest in the kingdom. Peter was arguing with the other disciples. Who was, they, were, they were selfish. Jesus, I want to be there. They didn't know what they were talking about. And later we know at, at, at Jesus' crucifixion, he denied him. No, I don't even know the guy. Aren't you with Jesus? No, not me. That's not me. I don't know him. And then even later after the resurrection, Jesus goes back to fishing, just catching a few fish a day or a week and trying to make a living instead of this glorious vision of following Jesus and coming and being fishers of men. And I think for any of us, it's kind of, it's kind of easy to lose our vision and get our eyes off of his presence and his power. But we want a sign. The point is, the point of this story is it's not, it's not a one-time event. It's a journey. It's a journey. Discipleship is a journey. It's a process for us. And we all, followers of Christ, are somewhere on this road of learning from him, drawing near to him, growing in our understanding of who he is, growing in our experience of his love and his presence. It's a journey, isn't it? I mean, these guys have had some incredible experiences until this point, and they also had some incredible experiences after this point. But it just, it just takes this time for us to advance and spiritual maturity, and then grow in our knowledge of Christ. One of my favorite theologians, John Riley, says, success isn't a very good teacher. He and I were having a conversation a few weeks ago just about life and ups and downs and faith, and, and, uh, and he just said this little comment that success isn't a very good teacher. And I thought, man, that's, that's so right. I mean, what's the opposite of that? That failure is a pretty good teacher, isn't it? Failure is a pretty good teacher if, if we allow the process. You see, God gives us his Holy Spirit to teach us, to counsel us, to empower us. We have, we have one of the persons of the Trinity dwelling inside of us if we are followers, followers of Christ to continue this process transforming us into his glory. That's an incredible, incredible thing. I think that we forget. We just kind of think sometimes we're just out there doing it on our own. No, God's provided for us in this incredibly glorious, supernatural way to put his spirit inside of us, to propel us, to actually allow us and enable us to accomplish his will. Do you remember that? We need to remember that together. We need to remember that to each other as we go through this life. So we were talking, John and I were talking just about life and things, and, and uh, I want to share a story with you. When I was in college, this is uh, Robert Lewis Hall at Troy University where I studied accounting and finance. And this is where all my senior level accounting classes were up in the top floor up there. Very intimidating building for me at one time. Um, 
I had an experience. I was in, it was my first senior year of college. It was 1988, the fall of 1988. Yeah, you got that. Thanks, Mom. Um, but it, was, it really was. And it was fall of 1988, and there's this, there's this senior-level accounting class called corporate finance where you're the CFO of the company, and you choose a company, and for this whole semester, you track the financial status of this company, and at the end of the semester, you turn in this giant report to your professor, and you complete, it, it is a financial report. It's a quarterly re- report that you actually turn in about the company. We complete with financial statements, income statement, balance sheet, statement of cash flows, and then you explain those things. And this was a very intimidating class. And uh, to put it lightly, I probably shouldn't have put it off. <laughs> but as the, as the semester progresses, I'm thinking, you know, I've got enough time. You know, I mean, this will be easy. I'm going to do it on Texas Instruments. I've got an idea of what I'm going to do. And really, I, I began to put it together, but honestly, I should have realized it sooner. But it wasn't until about three days before I had to turn in this report that I realized I wasn't going to get it done. There was no way. You know how the all-nighter, like you can do some things in an all-nighter. You couldn't accomplish this in an all-nighter. It just wasn't possible, or even three in a row. And uh, I remember my professor, Dr. Ira Pyron. Yes, believe it or not, his first name was I-R-A. Who, who plans that? How does that happen? I don't know. But it was his name, Dr. Ira Pyron. And, uh, and he, just, he just dealt with it kind of simply, like, you know, Derek, you just have to take it with me the next time it's offered. It was business to him. It was no big deal. But to me, I mean, I just failed a class. I was dejected. Man, I was in the pits, not for a day, for weeks. Because this, and this, by the way, this wasn't a class that you could just take next semester. It was only offered once a year, hence my first senior year. <laughs> so, you know, I had to wait the year. And I came back the next year, sign up for the class with Dr. Pyron. And I go through the class. I have a new attitude. I definitely have a new attitude. And I worked. I did the work. I did what I thought was best. Um, I I thought I did my best. And I turn in the report. You know, at the end of the year, I did this one on PepsiCo. I thought if I changed companies, that would help. I turn it in, and about three days later, he calls me into his office, and uh, it was just I was like, oh, no, what's going to happen? And, and his office was back here in the top right uh, where all the accounting professors were, and I went in, and I, I'll never forget his office. It was like books stacked to the ceiling, huge shelves in all directions. And, I mean, the books were so big, not books anyone would ever read. They were like these enormous volumes. And I mean, the shelves, I, could, I remember them sagging as if everything's going to come toppling down any second. There are just so many books on these shelves. And he had this big mahogany desk with these two like bank lights or something. There's these overhanging green, weird ember glows. And they were on both sides of his desk. So it, 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 it kind of gave shadows from both directions, which gave him the appearance of having a constant frown, something I don't know why, but the light was just on his face that way. And he calls me in, and I sit down in front of his desk, and he goes, well, i got something to tell you. I'm going to have three senior years? I'm like, 
And he goes, he goes, Derek, you had the best, that was the best communicated report of any of my counting classes. There were three of them. I could not have been more surprised. And he went on to tell me about the report, what was in it, how I communicated it, walked through sections. It blew me away. You see, we have, we're going to fail in life. We're going to fail. The, the story of the disciples should teach us that. But what are we going to do with our mistakes? What are we going to do with our setbacks? What are we going to do with the times in life when we have these expectations and they're just not met? Maybe by ourselves or other people. We have to respond to those things in some way. And I want to encourage you this morning. Be courageous. Be faithful. And be patient. Be courageous. Be faithful. And be patient. The Holy Spirit gives us this, these capacities. And more. And more. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to be courageous. We'll come back to these in a moment. But the ability to be faithful and the ability to be patient and wait for God's will or pray for God's will. The Holy Spirit is with us, church. And so what are we going to do with our setbacks? And I want to dive into something else this morning, too, about what God does with our setbacks. I hope that this morning that the Word of God reminds us of His goodness, of His patience, of His empowerment, of His ability to redeem things, to restore things, to reconcile things. Listen, if I can remind you of one thing this morning, it's this, that God knows we are finite. See, he created us in his image, but not exactly like him. He's infinite. He is holy and perfect. And he gives us this example through Christ and empowerment through the Holy Spirit to shoot for that. But he knows who we are. And we carry this treasure of his the glory of God in this jar of clay. I want to look at John chapter 8 at a story, the woman caught in adultery. So turn there, if you will, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. How does God respond to our mistakes? Okay, so let's, uh, let's read this. The woman caught in adultery. Beginning of verse 1, there's a little parenthetical there. They went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Wow. Wow. We're going to talk more about that response in a moment, but I want to give you a little background to this event here. The season was was fall. We know that it was somewhere in September or October. And how do we know that? Because Sukkot had just taken place, the Festival of Booths, the Festival of, ta- of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles. And right before that is Yom Kippur, and Yom, right before that is the Feast of Trumpets. So there have been about two weeks of celebrating in Jerusalem. This was a huge event. Jews came from all over, back to Jerusalem, to celebrate these events the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Trumpets, and the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, they're celebrating two things. Number one, God's delivering the the nation of Israel out of Egypt, protecting them, caring for them, delivering them from the hand of Pharaoh. And number two, they're also celebrating the harvest. The Lord says, bring all the crops in. And if you want to look this up, you can look this up in Leviticus 23. There are all the feasts listed in Leviticus 23 that the Lord told Israel to celebrate. But he says, bring in the crops and celebrate. So this is a huge event that's going on. And it was Jesus' custom to go into the temple on a regular basis and just teach. And the Pharisees and Sadducees had noticed this. The the, the religious leaders had noticed this because Jesus is in there teaching. People are gathering around, and you know they came near, and they said, this is all in Scripture. They said, how how does he teach with such, such authority? And yet he has no learning. Who is this guy? Hey, you know, he was the word, right? I mean, that's really funny. And, and he said to them, you study the word. At one time he said to them, you study the word and you don't know why. Because it testifies about me, Jesus said. So these guys are already way, way in, way, way over their head. But they set him up. They set up Jesus. I'm sure he'd been coming to the temple. The word tells us that during the Feast of Tabernacles. And so now, let's say the feast is over. It's Monday morning. Jesus is coming back to the tabernacle, I mean, to the temple at whatever, 9, 10 in the morning, to teach. People are gathering around. But don't you, don't you suppose that they set him up? This was not something that happened spontaneously. These guys are like, you know, he says he knows the law. Well, let's, let's, let's corner him. Let's bring this woman who is caught in adultery, and let's throw him before her. The word law Moses says to stone her. So let's put him in a corner and see what he says. So they set him up right there in the, t- in, in the temple. Hey, this woman's caught in adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. Jesus, what do you say? Put him on the spot, probably in no time. Probably happened all at once. And I bet in two minutes, this whole challenge was out there. Here's this group of men, probably with stones in their hands. And Jesus, what does he do? Well, he kneels down, starts drawing in the sand. He didn't respond right away. And in a few minutes, he stands up. Okay. Okay. You're right. You're right, stoner. Oh, oh, but wait. Just one thing. <laughs> just one, just one little thing. Yes, yeah, stoner, but but let the one of you who is without sin. Let the one of you who's without sin. Imagine it's us. Be the first to cast a stone. Oh, and then he, that was enough said. Then he knelt back down. 
There's so much he could have said. I mean, first of all, they're challenging him on the law. <laughs> they're, they're challenging him on the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. They're challenging him on the word. You see, not only did he protect her life, Jesus protected her dignity. Jesus protected that woman's dignity. And he also protected the dignity of the, those in the group that were going to stone them, stone her. Think about this. Think about this for a moment. He could have said, right? Hey, yeah, you're right. The law says stoner. But wait, wait. There are other reasons. There are other reasons in the law of Moses too why we stone why we stone people. Did you know you could be stoned for working on the Sabbath? It's true. You could be stoned for working on the Sabbath. Or if you had a wayward son. Let's say you had a wayward son that just wasn't paying attention to your instruction as a father. That son was reveling and just didn't care, whatever. That son could be stoned. You could also be stoned for blasphemy. That's why Stephen was stoned. And stoning happened in this day. By the way, stoning happened. This was how they rid the camp of sin. Thank God for Jesus. Hello? And, and stoning happened. And this was a brutal, brutal event. It's just what you think it is. Baseball-sized stone. There's the person against the wall or in a pit. They had places where they would stone them. And here go 60, 80, 100 people. It would be worse if it was five. It would take forever. Right? Think about this. This is a very brutal event. But there are other reasons that people could be stoned. Now, why do I bring that up? Don't you know Jesus could have said, uh, Hey, uh, just a minute. Hey, Zechariah, come here a minute. Just, just, out, just stand out in the middle a minute. Zechariah, what were you doing last Friday night? Hey, um, Nathan, come here. Come here. Those camels you sold, they weren't really yours, were they? Daniel, why don't you step forward? Tell us about the scales you used in the temple to do business last weekend during the festival. Do you realize that? Man, that's what I would have done. In fact, I've done that. Think about it. Not in the same way, of course. But we want justice. We want justice. We want to execute justice because we're perfect, aren't we? Oh, man. Jesus protected their dignity, and they didn't even know it. They didn't even know it. And when after he says this, they all walk away. The word says the eldest first. The ones who knew. The ones who realize, oh, okay, I don't have to think about this any longer. The younger ones might have been going, well, that wasn't so bad. I don't know. But he protected her dignity. How does he respond to our mistakes? How does he, he respond to our shortcomings? He, he knows 
that we are frail. He is faithful. All that we see in us because of our sin is why he came. And it's why he came to set us free and to give us, to love us, to have compassion on us. And, and, and don't you know, I mean, have you ever felt that kind of compassion? Have you ever felt that kind of forgiveness? And maybe even more importantly, have you ever been the giver of that? Man, to be like Christ is a huge step that takes a process and takes some time. And it takes prayer. And it takes moving forward. No, I'm not going to live a perfect life. But you know what? I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be patient. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and pursue God's will. And we all are. This is what we do together. We want to spur one another on to move forward in faith, not to be made stagnant by setbacks or difficulties or failures. Man, forget that. God picks this woman up and says, hey, where, where, where are those who condemn you? Does no one condemn you? No. No, Lord. No, neither do I. No. Go and sin no more. There's so much love wrapped up in that. He's not berating her. He's encouraging her. He's loving her. He still wants holiness from her, right? Otherwise, he would have left that out. Strive for holiness or pray for holiness. Maybe strive is not a good good word, but there are times, listen, to be courageous, to be faithful, to be patient. There are times in our life when each of those are maybe necessary. To be courageous. When, when you just believe this is the way you need to go, and you've got counsel from friends, whatever, you're, this is the way you need to go. And usually we're going to get some, some uh, affirmation and confirmation of that. But you've got to be courageous and go forward with faith, with courage, or faithful. There are times in life when you just have to be faithful for long periods of time. And, and I don't know what it, what it may be, but it's just, maybe it's sowing seeds in a certain area of life where you just, you haven't, you haven't seen the fruit of that yet. Or you're praying for a situation that you've been praying for for a long time. Be faithful. Be faithful in those things. And be patient. Above all, be patient with ourselves. C.S. Lewis said in a book called The, uh, the Problem of Pain, and I love this. I've shared this before that, that there are things sometimes what we may think is good, God may not think is good. Or what we think is bad, God may not think is bad. You see, he's working out his will with a level of understanding and wisdom that you and I cannot attain to. We, we do not understand. It's seeing literally the beginning and the end all at once. And all of the activity in between so be patient that God is working out his will. doesn't mean be stagnant. No, be patient and just be faithful. So I want to encourage you this morning to take these three things and just figure out where you are in life. Let's, let's ask ourselves these questions, these simple questions that may cause us to think more deeply or pray uh, more genuinely. But Lord, show me. Show me, Lord, what's going on in my life, where I need to be courageous, 
where I need to be faithful, where I need to be patient. And ask, because look, the Holy Spirit is our counselor. And most of the time, we're taking our counsel from everywhere else. Would you agree with that? I mean, man, whether it's conversation or the paper or whatever, well-meaning friends and family. But the Holy Spirit is our counselor. So how are we standing in the counsel of God? How are we or when are we making time to stand, sit, kneel, walk in the counsel of God to let his spirit encourage us, to let his spirit speak to us, to let his spirit direct us? Let's do that, church. Let's do that, church. And let's call upon God. I want to leave you with something. I'm going to close. Dan, if you guys want to come on back up. I'm going to close with a psalm. Uh, as Dan mentioned, we've been going through the Daily Audio Bible, which is an app. You can do it any way you want, but this is just one way to do it, where we're going through this app, the Daily Audio Bible. And, you know, and by, by the way, just an aside, if you did that with us, and if you're doing that with us, you'll know for the first two weeks of this reading how much human depravity, selfishness, trickery. I mean, just in the first two weeks of reading Scripture, it's, it's unbelievable. But as Brian Harden, the commentator on this, on this app, says, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean God condones it. There are tons of mistakes in the Bible. But if we read those stories praying for God's Spirit to counsel us and give us revelation, oh boy, God can put wisdom in our hearts. God can put hope in our hearts, even in similar situations that may be equally as devastating in our own minds. God is a redeemer. God restores and reconciles. And I want to remind us of that today. So here's a psalm. Check this out. Psalm 5. And uh, I'll give us just a moment to digest this. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with us? Let's read this together. And Dan and the team, they're going to play a song we haven't done in a long, long time here at Crossroads. I don't know why. Churches across America kind of put this song on the shelf. But Good, Good Father. It's called Good, Good Father. And, uh, and I actually started to do it a few months ago. And for some reason, I resisted. Maybe it was for this very day. Um, we're going to sing Good, Good Father. And I want us to read this, this psalm together out loud in a moment. And then before we move into this song, let's just take some time. Let the Lord speak to us. Let our counsel of the Holy Spirit remind us of who God is. Let's read this together. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Oh, amen, Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just your word, your truth. Thank you for your plan of salvation and reconciliation. Thank you for the way, God, you, you do work in our lives. And thank you, God, for your patience with us, 
Lord, we want to learn from you. And Lord, we want to learn to advance, to progress in this life of faith. Lord, remind us of your character. Remind us, Lord, of your qualities. And remind us of the principles of your kingdom. Remind us, O God, of your heart for us, your compassion for your people. Remind us of your love for us, Lord. And Father in heaven, I pray that you lift each one of us up, God. You empower us, O Lord. Only let us depend on your strength, Let us depend on your presence inside of us through your spirit, God. And Lord, may we excel in the faith. Lord, protect us from contriving. Protect us from that, Lord. But let let your love be manifest in a genuine way in our hearts. Oh, Lord, unite us with you and unite us with each other. Lord, I pray that you build your people up today in hope. Thank you that you are infinitely powerful. Nothing is stronger than you, O God. Nothing can thwart your will. Lord, breathe your life into us again this morning and restore our hope and our trust in you, our faith in you. And remind us, O Lord, above all that you are good. Lord, thank you that we can know your will, that you reveal that to us. What a blessing you are, oh God. We honor you, we worship you, and we thank you for your counsel in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.